Welcome, everyone, to the 2019 Monday Match Analysis Awards. I am your host, Gil Gross, and this one is the second annual running of a very special show that marks the end of the the year in tennis, and I'm very excited to bring it to you, and as are the players. The players are not done yet. You know, their season's over. Most of them are relaxing somewhere on a beach somewhere, but they will tune in to see if they will uh, receive the honor of an MMA award, as as they call it in the biz. Uh, but uh, all kidding aside, uh, this should be fun. It should be a good way to look back on the season. And um, it's always nice to recognize some of the cool things, some of the things that have happened this season that are, are worth recognizing and honoring. But first... I promised at the beginning of the year, when I predicted the year-end top 10, that I would revisit it at the end of the year and take a look at, at how wrong I was, because to get that right would be the equivalent of getting struck by lightning as far as odds are concerned. No one can predict something like that. But I tried. I put myself out there, and I tried. And now I'm going to put myself out there again, and we're going to look at exactly what I thought the top 10 would be before the 2019 season, and then we'll take a look at, at what it is. And this is, again, a good way to take a look at who surpassed expectations, who did not meet expectations this season. So th- this here it is. This was my preseason top 10, and in parentheses is where they started the year. So Djokovic started the year number one, And I thought he'd keep that spot. That was the case until the final week of the season when Rafa Nadal overtook him and finished year-end number one. At number two, I felt like Sasha Zverev was ready to make a leap. Remember, this was after the World Tour final triumph. And Zverev plays a busier schedule than Nadal and Djokovic and Federer. He can compete on all surfaces other than grass at the moment. So I felt like this was it. Felt like he could get up to number two. Not the case. Zverev had a tumultuous year off the court. And I think a lot of things occurred that distracted him. There were, you know, some persisting technical issues with his game as well. And ultimately, again, he 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 had a really good end to the season, but he did not meet. Uh, those expectations. And it was a tough year for him. At the same time, if you're looking at a bad year for Zverev, considering how well he ultimately did do, that's pretty good for a bad year. Number three, I had Rafa Nadal, you know, just taking, I, I had him pretty much holding holding his spot, but taking one step down. Nadal had a sensational season and was uh, sur- did surpass expectations. What a, what a year for Nadal. Now, the next one, no, Dominic Team, started the year at number eight, and I had him making the leap up to number four. I got this one. I did. I, I got this one. He started at number eight. Now he's up to number four. Federer, I expected to take a step down. And that didn't exactly happen. I would say Federer played better when you consider level. He played better in 2019 than he did in 2018. Now, 2018 had the Australian Open title. So 
that's working in his favor when it comes to the year prior. But I think that Federer played better tennis this year. So Federer also surpassed my expectations. And he doesn't dip down to number five. Instead, he rose up or, or he maintained his position at number three, which is where he started the year. Number six was my biggest miss. An absolutely horrible prediction where I felt like Borna Cioric, who started the year at number 12, was going to have a breakout season. I thought he was ready, and I've always been a little bit skeptical about Borna Cioric's ceiling. I've never looked at him as someone who has the potential to be a multiple Grand Slam champion. But I did feel like he was the most physically ready out of the bunch, the most mentally ready out of the bunch. And because of that, I thought he would have the best year of his career and make a lot of runs. Instead, he had an injury-marred season, and it felt like sometimes the injuries kept him off the court entirely, and sometimes they didn't, but it still seemed to hamper his play uh, for a lot of the season. A, a year that sees Chorich outside the top 25. Remember, he started the year at number 12, so a step backwards for Chorich, and we'll see what he does next year. At number seven, I had Juan Martin Del Potro taking a bit of a backwards step, but really no one could foresee the injury that, the unfortunate injury that he suffered this season. So uh, Del Potro out of the equation now, but uh, I had him finishing at number seven. At number eight, we see Stefanos Tsitsipas. I successfully predicted his rise into the top 10. I had him going from 15 to number eight, expecting him to improve, to make a bit of a leap. And exactly that he did. At number nine, a different story. I had Karen Hachinov moving up from number 11 to number nine. Instead, his year-end ranking this season is just outside the top 15. Number 17 is Karen Hachinov, and I had him going up. Instead, he went down. At number 10, you see Marin Chilich, who started the year at number seven. And I was very skeptical about Chilich's season. I really thought that he was going to be on the decline. I respectfully put him at number 10, but I would say that is a successful prediction to predict his decline. And uh, he declined even more sharply than uh, indicated in this preseason top 10. Now you see the actual top 10. Number one is Rafa Nadal. Number two is Novak Djokovic. Number three is Roger Federer. Number four is Dominic Team. Medvedev at five. Stefanos Tsitsipas at number six. Alexander Zverev at number seven. Matteo Berrettini at number eight. And Roberto Bautista Agut, number nine. Finally rounding off the top ten is Gael Monfils at number ten. And now, it is time for the 2019 Monday Match Analysis Awards. I don't have music, unfortunately, but I do have coffee. First, I'll go over the categories. Then, um, before I introduce, as I introduce each category, I'll talk about what the category means a little bit so we all are on the same page. After I'm done with my selections, I'm going to essentially give you guys the floor. I'm going to read what you guys thought, your selections. And... There will also be honorable mentions because we would be absolutely remiss if we only recognized 
those who came out on top because there were some very valiant uh, contenders for some of these awards. And some of them could have went either way. So we got to give respect to anyone even in consideration for these awards. Here are the categories, not in order. I will read them off. Player of the Year, Match of the Year, Story of the Year, Upset of the Year, Best Tournament Run, Most Improved, Comeback of the Year, Best Single Match Performance, and Best Shot. I will go in order of what I feel like is the most weighty, the most important awards. So Player of the Year will go last, for example. And I, I'll do the less, the comparatively less significant awards first. First category is Story of the Year. I think there was some confusion on this because to me, a Story of the Year needs to be something off the court meet, uh, that affects something on the court. It can't be just off the court. It can't be something that has nothing to do with tennis, but it also can't be only tennis. It needs to incorporate something off the court. And to me, this this one goes to Laszlo Jera and his run in Rio de Janeiro. What I want to do is play his on-court speech after winning the title in Rio. I'm lost. I, I lost my mom seven years ago, so I want to dedicate this one to her. And, uh... And also to my dad, uh, I lost him two months ago, so my parents have been the, uh, had the, the biggest impact on me and uh, because of them I'm who I'm today. So I really want to thank this uh, to them and I hope uh, they are watching me now. Uh... Emotional, heartfelt. To me, that deserves some recognition. Now, there is also uh, Roberto Bautista Agu, who uh, also lost his second parent and um, thought that he was not going to play Davis Cup and went home from Madrid, where Davis Cup was being held, went to his hometown in Spain and said that he was crushed the day after but then woke up the next morning feeling rather possessed and drove to Madrid and won the first tie for Spain in that Davis Cup final. So I almost feel like, you know, Jera, Jera is, is what I went with because it's not just one match. It was an entire tournament. I also feel like Jera's year, he's only 23 years old. Uh, that is almost deserving of some recognition because if you look at Jera's progress, it's close, not quite, but close to the progress of like Felix Oje Aliassime came into the year outside the top 100 and now hovering around the top 30. He wins Rio two months after his father dies. His mother had died seven, eight years prior. I forget exactly what he said. And um, his rise was from outside the top 100 to 38 this season. But uh, I thought that his honesty 
and what he shared with us in that post-match interview deserves recognition. Let's take us to our next award, and that is for best shot. I will remind you, and on some categories I will do this, I will remind you of the uh, of last year's winner, the defending champion, was Roger Federer's shot around the pole at the U.S. Open. And this year, interestingly enough, we have a similar shot that takes the cake. This goes to Rafa Nadal at the U.S. Open, going around the pole against Marin Cilic. And we have footage for you, folks. We have footage from the admirable Double Fault 28 Twitter account that provides great gifts to the tennis community. That is it, folks. Nadal around the pole at the U.S. Open. Now, let's talk about this a little bit. First of all, it's incredible that he got there. It looked like he wasn't going to get there. But Chilich was at the net. There was really no play. It had to be a winner. And this angle isn't even, it doesn't even really look like it's there. I mean, he's just outside the doubles alley, puts that classic banana topspin or sidespin, I should say, on this shot. It's vintage Nadal. It's his one of his signature shots, but there's just not that much angle there. And he wins a point that, I mean, when you're watching that, you just think there's no way this point's going to Rafa Nadal. And that is what the shot of the year requires. It needs to be a great get. It needs to be the only option. It needs to be unlikely. And then it needs to be executed with perfection. And Nadal's shot at the U.S. Open, it checks all those boxes. It wasn't lucky. It wasn't showboaty. It was just a tremendous shot from Nadal. But how about that? Two years in a row, around the pole at the U.S. Open, takes the cake. The next category is best tournament run. I also thought that there was, just reading the replies, a little bit of confusion about what warrants the winner of this award. I see this largely as kind of like best upset. Now, I feel like we should also honor the a, a, an upset that takes place over an entire tournament. It shouldn't just be one match. What about someone who made an improbable run from Monday to Sunday or maybe at a slam over the course of two weeks that didn't happen this year. That should also be recognized. So best tournament run, yeah, it could have went to a big three member, but they would have had to have they would have had to have a, a historic run in a major in which their competition they they probably would have beaten if a big three member was going to win this category, they would have probably had to beat the other two and possibly do so in dominant fashion or in epic fashion. So I wasn't feeling a big three member here. I look at this as best upset almost. And to me, that's Fabio Fanini's run in Monte Carlo. Fanini, close to his hometown, on the red dirt, he had never won a Masters 1000 title in his career. And he comes out of nowhere and wins this tournament. Came in, not in great form. Came in as the 13th seed. 
and beats Rafa Nadal in the semifinals. Something that, even though Nadal was coming off his Indian Wells withdrawal, no one was ready for that. Because you look at what Rafa had done, and I know that Nadal was a shell of himself at this point in the season, but we didn't really even know that at this point. He had crushed RBA, Grigor Dimitrov, not saying much at that time of year, then also Guido Pela. I mean, the RBA win, the Pela win, decisive. Nadal just, he had looked like close to Nadal at that point. And not only does Fanini get the win with the crowd behind him, close to Italy, but he absolutely destroyed Rafa Nadal with, with just stunning play. 6-4, 6-2. And then I was impressed with the final. Because Fanini comes in, someone who came into the tournament not in great form, just pulled off the upset against Nadal, comes in as the heavy favorite in the final against Dusan Laovic, who had just beaten Medvedev. And guess who Medvedev had just beaten? Novak Djokovic. So Laovic is in an unreal run of form. And all of the pressure is on Fabio Fanini to win his first Masters. And he gets it done. He beats Dusan Laovic and wins Monte Carlo for his first Masters 1000 title. Now, we need an honorable mentions in this category because there were some great runs. Honorable mention to Lopez and Murray in doubles at Queens, where Andy Murray makes his return. No one was expecting much. They're not even a doubles pairing. Murray's just getting back. His serve isn't 100%. And they win the title at Queen's Club. A absolutely magical, improbable run. And even though it's doubles, that certainly, that I almost went with that. That almost won. Medvedev at the U.S. Open. Unbelievable. Now, you take points away that he didn't win it. You add points that it was a slam. But Daniil Medvedev saved loads of set points. He faced set points in two sets against Feliciano Lopez, ended up winning. Seemed to get into trouble in every single match. Kept pulling it out. Flipped off the crowd in the match against Feliciano Lopez. And from that point on, became an absolute villain. A total heel. And was being booed at the in New York. Vehemently hated in New York. And r- took that energy... And went all the way to the final with it. By the way, barely had a body to run on. I mean, he was in absolute bits. Now, we got two days rest before the final. Went down two sets to love. And actually figured out a way to push Rafa Nadal to five sets. Gave us an epic final. That's an honorable mention. Another honorable mention is to Rafa Nadal at Davis Cup. Which I couldn't see. And I couldn't watch it. Because of the extraordinarily unfortunate and disappointing uh, coverage in the United States of this tournament. But that deserves an honorable mention. I can't comment much on it other than the results. The fact that Spain kept losing the first tie. All the pressure continuously was on Nadal in Madrid. And he went, I want to say, 6-0. and Was it 6-0 and in Davis Cup? Also won all of his doubles. Nadal comes out like a man possessed. I'm about to get you the results here. 
beat Go- Gojo, Croatia, world number 280. Beat Schwartzman, 6162. Beat Dan Evans, 646 Love. Then beat Denis Shapovalov, 6376, in the final against Canada. Uh, so automatic for Nadal. Definitely, I would say Fanini deserves that over over that Davis Cup run. But um, so I'm confident in in the winner here that it's Fanini. Not only did he go all the way, it was his first Masters title. No one expected him to win it, and he got it. We move on now to the best upset. This is one that really had me going back and forth. It really did. And it was between two matches where the loser was the same in both. It was Roger Federer. But I decided to go with Grigor Dimitrov. His win, that should say the U.S. Open, another typo. That should say the U.S. Open, Grigor Dimitrov defeats Roger Federer. And the reason that says Australian Open was I nearly gave it to Stefanos Tsitsipas and his win over Roger Federer at the Australian Open. But I decided to go with Dimitrov. Dimitrov went into New York, loser of seven of the last eight matches. He was, dare I say, irrelevant going into the Open. No one was thinking about the Bulgarian. Nobody. Or the Belarusian. Anyway, I might have botched that. Uh, But he meets Federer in the round of 16 and comes back from two sets to one down. The reason I now now here's here's what constitutes upset of the year. There are three factors. One is how big a match was it. Both were in slam quarterfinals. So that's a tie. The second was how surprising was it? And this is where Dimitrov gets the edge. Because Tsitsipas was world number 15, and we all knew Tsitsipas is going places. He's on the up and up. He's going to do great things in his career. It's just a matter of time. Did we think he was ready to beat Federer in that match? Probably not. Federer came in, according to the odds makers, the second favorite to win the Australian Open. He came in the two-time defending champion. Were we expecting Tsitsipas to win that match? Absolutely not. It was an upset. But this was different. This really came out of nowhere. The third factor is how good a match was it? How good a performance was it? Now, Dimitrov played great, Tsitsipas played great, but Tsitsipas was a little bit better because I felt like Federer at this point carrying an injury, I would say, by the end of the match, looking not like himself against Dimitrov. Against Tsitsipas, ooh, Federer didn't play all that poorly besides the break points. He could not convert a break point in that match against Tsitsipas. But other than that, he looked physically okay and uh, 100%, which is why I almost gave it to Tsitsipas because it was a better quality match. I gave it to Dimitrov because it's a better upset. And that's what this category is about, best upset. So it goes to Dimitrov at the U.S. Open. Now we move on to the newcomer of the year. It is none other than Felix Auger Aliassime, the teenager from Canada. He ends the year at number 21. Now, I think recency bias could... And I think he started around 109, if I'm 
if I'm uh, if I'm not mistaken. Now, recency bias might suggest, well, this could have should have went to someone else, and we'll get to honorable mentions. They exist for this category, but FAA came in and uh, made a bunch of finals. One of them was in Rio, made a final the very next week. FAA came in and really made a lot happen over the course of the clay court season and the grass court season. And in Miami, he made a nice run. FAA announced himself. He's now in the mix. He wasn't before. So a clear runaway favorite for newcomer of the year. Comeback player of the year. Oh, wait. Are there? No, there are no honorable mentions for, for, uh, for newcomer of the year. Gave it to FAA flat out. Feel confident about it. Next, comeback player of the year. That goes to none other than Andy Murray. And I want to play this audio. Take a listen. I was sort of just just playing with no idea of when the sort of the, the pain was gonna pain was gonna stop. Um, and I, I felt like making that decision. Um, you know, I, I said to my team, look, I think I can kind of get through this until until Wimbledon. That is where where I would like to. That, that that's where I would like to stop um, stop playing um, but I, I'm, I'm also not certain I'm able to do that The first thing you heard was Murray af- after or during the Australian Open, slightly before the Australian Open, when he announced that this could be his last ever tournament. He was tearful. He was emotional. His comeback had failed. He had had two operations. He tried to come back in, in the summer of the year prior, playing Washington, D.C., uh, not ultimately making it to the U.S. Open, then calling it quits for the year, coming back to Australia and saying, look, I don't think I can do this. The second thing you heard was his title in Antwerp. It was a brilliantly structured uh, comeback where at first he played doubles, then he started playing singles, got better and better and better and better again and again, and it culminated in a title in Antwerp. And a historic comeback because no tennis player besides uh, besides Bob Bryan, um, or I, was it Mike? I think it was Bob. No player other than Bob Bryan had ever come back from a hip surgery as invasive as hip, resurf- hip resurfacing. Now, Bob had hip replacement, I believe, but uh, Andy had hip resurfacing. There's a great documentary. Just came out on Amazon, which uh, I might talk about in a, in a video in the future that documented this whole thing. Most improved player. This is a tough category. This is an important category. There are honorable mentions. This was kind of a tough one. But at the same time, someone jumps out. Someone, to me, defines what this award means. You come in. And you reinvent your game. You come in 
and you reinvent your status. And that's Daniil Medvedev. He is being spoken about now in the elite ranks of the game. Some people think he has a chance in Australia. Medvedev came into the year in the top 20. But people still weren't really talking about him much. Didn't make any big splashes. And then had a historically dominant summer. Medvedev made six straight finals. And then he, including the U.S. Open final. He's 23 years old. Came into the year 16. He finishes at world number five. He got consistent. He focused on fitness. Started to take himself very seriously. The big thing is, and and I will, you know, I'm not getting into tactics really in this video because I want to go player by player. And I'll talk a little bit about that later. But Medvedev stopped missing balls and maximized his potential. Became one of the most fit players on tour. And also really developed a an incredible will to win and a match IQ and a match toughness that not many of his opponents could compete with. Daniil Medvedev's the most improved player. Honorable mention goes to Stefanos Tsitsipas. Now, most improved, I think it was just on schedule, though. People expected this. Now, his rise was similar. Started at number 15, up to number 6. That's kind of like Medvedev. But Tsitsipas had already shown us a propensity to compete with the best. Now, I, to me, it wasn't as, as much of a drastic improvement as it was, you know, expected on-pace development. Tsitsipas deserves an honorable mention. He did get better. He grew into his body a little bit more. His backhand got stronger. His volleys got a lot better. Tsitsipas did a lot of great things, but uh, still going with Medvedev there. And an honorable mention should also go to Dominic Thiem, who was not nominated by the ATP for this award. But Thiem reached new heights off clay, made clear improvements in his game, his net play, his play on the rise, his backhand return, his slice backhand. One Indian Wells nearly won the ATP Finals, Team deserves to be in that conversation. Matteo Berrettini deserves to be in this conversation because from a ranking standpoint, no one was more improved than Matteo Berrettini. Didn't accomplish enough to win this award compared to what Medvedev accomplished, but Berrettini belongs in the conversation. Now, we go to the final... Is it the final two awards? No, we have three more awards. This one is very important. This one is a great honor to win. Match of the year. It doesn't just go to one player. It goes to two. It takes two to tango. And tango they did in the Wimbledon final. Djokovic and Federer. Five sets. The first ever 12-all tiebreak in Wimbledon history. Two match point saves by Novak Djokovic. That is the match of the year. His 16th slam. Um, now, now here's what goes in to, to match of the year. Again, 
the weight of the match, the importance of the match. What will this award probably be? Most likely, probably a slam final. But if there are no good slam finals, it can go elsewhere. But slam final automatically uh, gets an advantage for the historical significance. Then it's level of play. Then it's how close it was. This really checked all three boxes. It really did. The defending champion was also a match with Novak Djokovic. It was his win over Nadal in the Wimbledon semifinal. That was match of the year. Now, that was the de facto final. I believe whoever won that match would have beat Kevin Anderson in the final. But now two years in a row, Djokovic in the match of the year comes through, saves match points. It's interesting. Um, some honorable mentions. Honorable mentions for match of the year. Nadal versus Medvedev in the U.S. Open final. Five sets most tactically interesting match of the year. The tension was palpable as well, especially in that fourth set. Um, the, the fifth set wasn't particularly close. Nadal closed the deal, but <laughs> Medvedev was down two breaks and he made it interesting. Nadal had to close it out at 5-4. Incredible momentum swings and just a fascinating, fascinating match to watch. Perhaps more fascinating, a little bit less captivating, but more fascinating than Federer versus Djokovic, in my opinion. And an honorable mention at the French Open, a match that I missed. Tsitsipas versus Vavrinka. Everyone was calling that the match of the year. Now, I was actually on a plane headed to Paris when this match happened, so I missed it. But an honorable mention because I know how great that five-setter was. I've watched the highlights. They look in impeccable. Um, and that was a Stan Wawrinka victory in the fifth set over Stefanos Tsitsipas. We move on to a category that would never coincide with match of the year. This was best performance in a single match. And the best performance to me was without a doubt also a Novak Djokovic win this time over Nadal in the Australian Open final. To me, the best match by far and away, Novak Djokovic played all season. And I'm not sure he ever really reached this level again for the remainder of the season. In this Australian Open final, and Nadal had nerve issues early, he might have had some health issues as well. I don't think it would have mattered with how well Djokovic was playing here, how well Djokovic was hitting his two-handed backhand, absolutely crushing it, how well he was covering the court, how sharp his movement was, how well he was placing his forehand, the consistency he was doing it with, the backhand return, putting Nadal, really putting Nadal on his back foot on a consistent basis off of his wide serve. I mean, this was just a Novak Djokovic that refused to miss and was playing with the kind of intention and aggression that we don't always see. And you'll remember, the context matters here. Nadal's form had people second-guessing. Had me second-guessing. I picked Djokovic before the tournament. And Nadal, his form was so good, so breathtaking. The first-strike tennis was something that I had never seen before. Now, by now, I'm used to it because of what Nadal did after. But it was, it was such breathtaking form. I'd never seen it before. And going into the final, and I've done this before, I kind of thought, I, I changed my pick. 
thought, you know, I think Nadal's actually going to win this final against Djokovic because his form was that breathtaking. Nadal destroyed everyone in Australia. Everyone. Not even close. Hit the semifinal, 6-2, love against Stefano Tsitsipas. That was the semifinal. And Djokovic came back and won it 6-3, 6-2, Performance of the year, Novak Djokovic. Our final category is a very simple category. The player of the year. It goes to the player who was had the most admirable year on the court, the most dominant year, but also, you know, I don't know if it's just pure dominance. I don't know if that's the only factor because I think how you do it mattered, matters rather. And God, this one goes to Rafa Nadal. The player of the year, without a doubt, is Rafa Nadal. Nadal came in, suffered a very tough loss that we just went over, goes to Indian Wells, and has to pull out of a semifinal with Roger Federer, and comes back, like we see him do all the time, comes back from injury, but this time something felt different. And Carlos Moya, his head coach, who has been with him a while, he reflected back on that, and he said, wow, you know, I've never seen Nadal like this, but there's something wrong. He doesn't look fully motivated. He's not right mentally, and he's always right mentally. But somehow Nadal snapped in Rome. He had lost Monte Carlo. He had lost in Barcelona. He had lost in Madrid. But in Rome, he snapped, beat Novak Djokovic, went on to win, came into the French business as usual. came up with an honorable mention that I forgot to mention in performance of the year. I jumped the gun because performance of the year runner-up has to be Nadal's win over Dominic Team in the French Open final. Wore down Team beat him 6-1, 6-1 in the final two sets. Team, who was the best player, the strongest player throughout the duration of the clay court season. French Open final doesn't matter. Then, if you look at Nadal's body of work, his only losses were to Djokovic or Federer or coming back from injury. Those were his only defeats. He beat everyone else. He was the only man to solve the Daniil Medvedev conundrum over the summer. He did it twice. He fended off team. He beat Djokovic again. The only loss that's really unaccounted for, Kyrgios at Acapulco. Other than that, he only lost to Federer and Djokovic. He beat everyone else. Can't say that about Djokovic. Can't say that against Federer. They faltered against some of the other players. They didn't have that kind of season. But other than coming off of injury at the World Tour Finals for Nadal, coming off of injury after Indian Wells to start the clay court season and struggling with his mental game. Other than that, Nadal just wouldn't lose. And he was more dominant than he has ever been in his entire career on his first serve. 
playing first strike tennis. Playing aggressive with his forehand, coming to the net, going line. I mean, the variety on his backhand. He reached new heights at 33 years of age. And that deserves player of the year. Honorable mention goes to Novak Djokovic. He also won two slams, just like Nadal. But he didn't win a hardcourt Masters. He was sometimes upset early outside of slams throughout the season. Showed a bit of inconsistency that way. Um, And he lost the title as Nadal's biggest threat on clay. Because right now, I would say Dominic Thiem holds that title. And I feel like one of the big disappointments for Djokovic this season has to be that loss in the French Open semifinals against Dominic Thiem, where he came out in windy conditions and didn't really mentally lock in, didn't want to be out there. And I think, you know, that's a... Look, there's only four slams. means a lot. It's important. And a match like that is going to prevent Djokovic from getting his shot at knocking off Nadal from this perch. And Djokovic wasn't able to do it. Nadal's the player of the year. An unbelievable season for him. Okay. There you have it. That concludes things. There it is. Let's go to your comments now. Real quick, I'm going to give you guys a voice. First, I'm going to go to Twitter. I tweeted out all the categories. And here's what you guys say. Said, Siddharth uh, Srivasta said, Player of the Year is Rafa. Match of the Year, Rafa versus Medvedev, U.S. Open. Story of the Year, Sinner, Upset of the Year, Federer versus Grigor. Tournament Run of the Year, Medvedev to the U.S. Open Final. Most Improved, Tsitsipas. Comeback, Stan Wawrinka. An interesting one. And was in consideration for sure for an honorable mention. Single match performance, Novak versus Rafa, Australian Open Final. Best shot around the net, Rafa versus Chilich. A lot of agreement there. Simpson Paradox said, player of the year has to be Nadal. What a year he's had. Upset, Tsitsipas defeat Federer at Australian Open. Match of the year, the men's U.S. Open men's final. Also gave some love to the women, Serena versus Azarenka at Indian Wells. Uh, also some, some other matches of the year. Uh, let's see. Ayub. A-Y-O-U-B. Player of the year, Rafa. Match of the year, Rafa versus Medvedev. Upset of the year, Coco versus Venus. A great one. Tournament run of the year, Medvedev, U.S. Open. Most improved, Medvedev. Comeback of the year, Andy Murray. Single match performance, Djokovic's masterclass versus Rafa with a very sad emoji. And the best shot, Rafa's around the net. NZ says player of the year is Rafa. Match of the year, U.S. Open final. Story of the year, Medvedev. Upset of the year, Adidas at Wimbledon? Hmm. I don't think I get it. Oh, well, let's see. You got team, lost first round. Zverev, did he lose first round at Wimbledon? That sounds about right. So maybe that's what he's referring to? Hmm. Uh, Most improved, Medvedev. Oh, Medvedev consistency, Steph overall. Comeback of the year, Murray. Singles match performance, team versus Djokovic in London. Um, And then story of the year, Rafa um, giving up, giving up to winning two slams in Davis Cup. Yes, yes. Um, Player of the year, Nadal. 
Tsitsipas defeats Federer for upset of the year. Berrettini, U.S. Open for the run of the year. That's a new pick. Uh, Medvedev for, what what is that for? For most improved. Um, and then Nadal defeats Medvedev. Uh, ATP finals for, what is that? That's match of the year, right? No, that's single match performance. Okay, that's an interesting pick. That's an interesting pick. Uh, Djokovic, Australian Open final for performance of the year. All right, let us go now to YouTube and read some comments from YouTube. That was all Twitter. You can follow me at Gil Gross. Vance Vermani said, Nadal uh, for player of the year, Medvedev for most improved. Comeback player, Sanga went from outside the top 200 to ending up top 30, two ATP titles and challenger level two. Good pick. Comeback match of the year, Nadal, well, that wasn't the category. But Nadal, the the win against Medvedev in London. Um, four, Djokovic defeats Nadal. That was performance of the year. Then things get very, very complicated. But I see Murray refers, resurfacing him. Best shot goes to Dan Evans in Australia as far as I've seen. I remember that. That was absurd. I think a little bit of luck involved. But absurd shot that was. Comeback of the year must go to Murray. I agree. Most improved player has to go to Medvedev, says Gene Swart. I just hope he can continue his form from U.S. Open Series into next year. It's very difficult to back up a season like he had. I agree. Gold Wolf had, I believe, Nadal in every single category. Let's see. Player of the year, Nadal. Oh, most improved. I mean, he's not going to give that to Nadal. The crazy Russian Medvedev. Comeback of the year, Rafa defeats Medvedev ATP Finals. I meant, like, over the season. Single match performance, Rafa, bagels, and breadsticks, you know who. Best shot, Rafa, tweener volleys against Sanga in the Paris Masters. Match of the year, Nadal defeats Medvedev, U.S. Open final. Story of the year, Spain wins Davis Cup with home field advantage, led by the god of Davis Cup, Rafa, destroying the field. Upset of the year, RBA and Medvedev defeat Djokovic twice. Best tournament, French and Wimbledon. A little bit of bias there from the Rafa superfan that is Gold Wolf. Um, let's see how much longer we want to go. We are at 47 minutes. I will read two more comments. Um, I believe you will definitely give the most improved ATP player season of the world to Daniil Medvedev, even though I'm a huge Pass fan, says Sharif Ahab. The reason I think Medvedev should win this category is because he has showed an incredible level of maturity, especially towards the back end of the year, which was really challenging the big three, unlike Zverev and Tsitsipas, who I think still need to improve in some areas, in my opinion. Keep up the good work, Gil. Love from Egypt. Thank you, Sharif. Um, Daniela Machado says, if improving consistency is the main reason why everyone thinks Medvedev should win the best player of the year, that's fine. But he hasn't improved anything else in his game besides that. Tsitsipas, I think I think he should uh, once again win because he improved a lot of the technical aspects of his game, such as his backhand and his service returns, just to mention some. And that, uh, and that allowed him to beat Nadal for the first time on clay, beat Federer and Djokovic for the second time, and all the current top 10 players of the season. Um, yes, definitely... Tsitsipas was much improved here, had a great year. Him, uh, him and Medvedev, are, were, were, uh, it was a tough choice in that category. Now, 
Um, I'll end it with this. The content plan for the off season is I want to get into more technicalities. I want to tell you more about what I feel players should be focusing on in the off season to improve. And I also want to recap what they, what they did this season. Why, uh, why some players went downhill, why some players went uphill, and uh, talk about players on a uh, talk about player seasons on an individual basis. So I'm going to do a bit of a series, which is a uh, season in review. I will cover everyone I believe in the top eight. I mean, I don't know, and then I might do one where I cover like eight through sixteen and talk about all those players at once. Maybe I'll even do like a 16 through through 25 or 28 or, or something. Um, but that is the content plan. I will also maybe be providing some various random thoughts videos at times. Um, so I want to thank you guys for following along throughout the season. Um, I feel the support. I love this family. I love this community. We will continue to have a good time um, watching tennis, talking tennis, uh, learning together and experiencing together what is an incredible time in this incredible, incredible sport. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time.